Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to the Relentless Truth Podcast. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like our podcast, support it by subscribing and reviewing. You can uh, go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com for additional information to learn what we're all about. It is a pleasure today to have a very special guest, my wife, Connie Warren, with us today for our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. This feels really strange. <laughs> I, I want to tell you about Connie quickly. She is a superwoman. She, when we were married at a, a young age, uh, she was an RN and uh, she went back to school to the University of Florida for undergrad and then went on uh, a few years later to the University of Central Florida to get her master's degree. Her field of expertise is OBGYN and pediatric nursing. And uh, she ran a large unit at a large hospital in uh, Central Florida, multiple hospitals for a hospital system in Central Florida for a number of years. Most importantly to me, she is a godly wife and mother and is superwoman around this house. And she uh, certainly has freed me up over the years to do the things that God has blessed me with the ability to do. So she is an amazing mother. We have a daughter who is a PhD student and uh, we're still parenting. And so I wanted you to meet her and have her here today to talk about things that are on her mind as we walk through this uh, topic of who is man. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. And you made me cry saying all those sweet things. All right. Well, it's important that I score points at all times. All right. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about who man is, is kind of the the big topic. We are going to, as we said before, this is not going to be a pure Bible study. Uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm a Christian. So I approach these things from a Christian perspective. And we're going to be talking about Christian worldview. And I don't even like that term because it implies this notion of, you know, and you'll actually I've read books that that even talk about the fact that it's taking off the wrong lenses and putting on the right lenses. Those are this biblical truth, these biblical truth lenses, when actually what is actually involved is so much more. So today, though, we're going to talk about an interesting character named Alexander Hamilton. Many of you probably know who he is. You know something about him, if not through history, through studying history from the musical uh, by his name. Uh, He's an interesting character. He's an American statesman, politician, legal scholar, military commander, lawyer, banker, and economist. Alexander Hamilton was accomplished. He's one of the founding fathers of the United States. He's known for his skills in interpreting and promoting the U.S. Constitution. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a secret. And this, this is, this, this really is Alexander Hamilton in a nutshell. He was very smart, obviously, but but a better politician. He was probably more crafty even than smart. And what he did, what he and others came up with was 
He said, let's centralize the debt of the individual 13 states. We'll take on your debt, and we want you to come to this convention and write a new constitution with us to replace the woefully inadequate Articles of Confederation. And they were inadequate because they didn't address money, taxation. They didn't address the question that we all ask all the time of this and other administrations. How are we going to pay for this? So it was a good thought, good idea, just got out of hand. Uh, aren't a lot of ideas like that? Yes. So Hamilton comes along. He, he, was, he was born in the leeward, British Leeward Islands. Some debate over his birth year. That doesn't matter. He died in 1804, we think, at the age of 47. And he died from a gunshot wound. And that's really one of the more interesting parts of Alexander Hamilton, more controversial parts, is, is, is how he, he died. He was orphaned as a child, and he was taken in by a prosperous merchant in the islands, the Leeward Islands. His strong aptitude was noted by this merchant. And in his teens, he was sent to New York to pursue his education. He was educated at King's College, it was called. It later became what we know as Columbia University. He sold cargo. Uh, he, w- he was a merchant. He was a trained merchant by this point in his life. And he sold cargo to pay for prep school education and then his education at King's College. He actually used, interestingly, and little known fact, he used a library of 34 family books to supplement his education when he was young in the Leeward Islands. So he wasn't homeschooled, but he was schooled at home. So he attended this prep school. He went on and he met this guy, interestingly, a guy named William Livingston, who was a leading intellectual and revolutionary of that day. And Livingston gave him credibility and introduced him to other important thinkers of the day. And his education at college got interrupted by the War for Independence. And then in July 1782, he passed the bar exam and was licensed to argue before the United States Supreme Court. His political rivals were many, but one of them was Thomas Jefferson. So Hamilton favored a strong central government and Jefferson, if you're ever asking a test question or you want to impress your friends, Hamilton favored a strong central government and Jefferson favored states' rights. Now, Jefferson's another topic for another day. His William and Mary story is fascinating. Yes. There's, a, there's a statue of Thomas Jefferson on the campus of William and Mary University, and the story is just fascinating. He is often called, you can look this up, he's often called a deadbeat, Thomas Jefferson is, because he took money from the endowment at William and Mary and never paid it back. And in his will, somehow, there was some provision for a statue to be provided at William and Mary. And Jefferson, in his estate documents, said that that statue should face Charlottesville, Virginia, where his sons were educated at the University of Virginia. And William and Mary did the unthinkable. And I am aghast to even have to tell you this. They turned the statue in the opposite direction. Well, that's because William and Mary didn't admit his children. Well, you're right. I left out that so detail, that, didn't yes. I? <laughs> yeah. So there's kind of a long standing issue there. And now the students of William and Mary decorate the statue, let's say it, with interesting articles of clothing and Mardi Gras beads. I believe they do this 365 days a year. Anyway, Jefferson and 
Hamilton were political rivals in a sense. Hamilton's personal life was messy. I'm talking about Alexander Hamilton today because he's a well-known character and he points us to man's depravity. He points us to our our sinful condition. This accomplished man had probably several, but at least one well-known extramarital affair that proved to be financially and politically costly. And the, the kind of the weighty part of the story begins, actually it began years earlier, but it really becomes climactic at the 1800 presidential election when Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson tied with 73 electoral votes. The Congress deadlocked for 35 votes to break the tie. And then finally, through some maneuvers, political maneuvers, Hamilton threw his support to his rival Jefferson because he liked Burr less and didn't respect Burr's character, breaking the tie in Jefferson's favor on the 36th ballot. The concept of honor was fundamental to Hamilton's vision of himself and the nation. And like so many of us, Hamilton's sword sort of had two edges. This being a man of honor, if taken too far, becomes a matter of self-sufficiency, self-reliant sin. And that was certainly true in Hamilton's life. Carried to their fullest extent, these debates, these battles of honor ended in a duel. Many of you know the story. These duels rarely happened as these conflicts were typically settled prior to reaching this final stage. But in the case of Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, they did, in fact, hold a duel. Hamilton wrote about his intention a few days before the contest to throw away his shot. Now, that practice, if you're not familiar with it, that practice was something that was done by men of honor who had a debate. Neither would recant. They're going to have the duel and they each fire into the air or, or at least intentionally miss the other combatant, the other participant. Hamilton announced that that's what he was going to do. There are seconds that were present. Each individual had a, a friend, if you will, a witness with them. And the story of this duel, because the memory of these two men was not consistent, the story they told afterward is somewhat of a mystery. What we do know is Hamilton fired. He announced he was going to fire to throw away a shot, meaning deliberately miss Burr. And he did fire, uh, and the shot went above Burr's head and hit a branch. Burr fired, hitting Hamilton in the torso, and Alexander Hamilton died 31 hours later in his mid-40s. Suffice it to say that Alexander Hamilton was an achiever at a young age. He was the first secretary of the United States Treasury. He was an economist. He was a lawyer. He was a banker. He commanded troops under George Washington. Probably like you, I find myself asking, even as I tell this story for probably the 100th time, I find myself asking why anyone would live life this way. This, this peculiar, brilliant, prideful, tormented man, the way he seemed to live. But when I pause and think about really who man is, our human condition, I guess I shouldn't be surprised at this tragic figure. No, absolutely not. I, I think of Solomon, the huh? wisest man. God granted him incredible wisdom 
And by the end of his life, he lived he, in sin again. He absolutely did. Mm, so true. And countless other characters did yes. so as well. I, I think back when I think about this problem, when we, and you know, we're just introducing the Relentless Truth podcast in these, in these early episodes. We've got special guests planned. We have the most special guest today, actually. But we have uh, other special guests planned. Names that you'll be familiar with, people with perhaps stories that, uh, with which you're familiar. But we're just talking about who man is in general terms. One of the things that we want to do with hopefully interesting guests and interesting stories over time is, is build a case for who man is, who God is, and how God relates to man. And I, I think that that's going to be important as we seek to talk about those underlying, underpinning, radical root truths that that kind of clear the haze and really help us live a good life. I think these perspectives are are going to be very helpful. But as we do that, we go back to creation and we look at how God made the earth. He made the earth out of nothing. And he created Adam and Eve. And he said on the sixth day when he made them, he said, this is very good. Not just this is good, but this, this is very good. And yet somehow, and we struggle to fully understand this. I like the way Paul Washer says this. He says, he says, we, but, but we believe it to be true. We struggle to understand how sin entered the world, but we believe it to be true nonetheless. And that's an excellent way, I think, to, to capture the sentiment. So sin did enter the world. And it appears to me when I read Genesis, it appears to me that this, it was a desire to be like God. It was the desire to think as God thinks, which to me sounds a lot like man's self-sufficiency. You know, it sounds a lot like man not answering the question who God is and who man is, not understanding that a high view of God is essential along with a low view of man, even though we're made in his image. Yes, absolutely. And of course, in the Garden of Eden was the great deceiver who continues to deceive us today and make us believe those things. Well, that's exactly right. And so as we fast forward through all of Scripture, and there are uh, there is a story after story that we could discuss, but we, we land in, in Romans where I think Paul gives us some helpful information on this. He talks about, in Romans 1, he talks about the fact that sin is crippling because as we engage in sin and go deeper and deeper into sin, God gives us over to this reprobate mind, this, this mind that loses the ability to tell right from wrong. And then in Romans 2, he talks about the fact that maybe those of us who don't see ourselves in Romans 1 become moralists and think of ourselves as good enough judging those in Romans 1. And Paul says, while practicing the very same things. So whether whether we're self-sufficient because of our, our, our saying, you know what, I don't need God, I can do what I want to do, or I'm self-sufficient in the sense that I believe that I on my own, apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, can be good enough, those are both problematic. Very problematic. I just, I, I was reminded of something that I heard John Piper say about salvation doesn't need to be looked at like inoculation, like I've, I'm saved and, and now I'm okay. It needs to be looked at almost like dialysis because it's, it's a constant renewing and changing of 
the way you think and live and behave because Christ lives in you. You know, speaking of which, and I, I, I really kind of want us to, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I, I want to close with this today. And, and next time we'll, we'll probe this issue uh, just a little further. But there's a, there are a couple of verses in Romans 12, and I, I'm jumping ahead, and theologians who are, who are listening are, are going to say, wait a minute, you just skipped the entire gospel. And yes, I did. And, and we will uh, we'll, we'll discuss that in great detail in other episodes. But I want to go to Romans 12, and, and I, I tell my students every year, it is really hard to hear these verses, because these are verses that uh, you know you've heard a thousand times. And I've heard both helpful and unhelpful lessons on on these concepts. I'll just read them to you real quickly. I, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just to say it, when I heard those verses as a kid and as a young adult, what I heard is two things. One, you better go suck it up and do better. And, and the other is that you're responsible for being different from the world. Exactly. That's exactly what I pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself presentable before God. When in reality, if we just parse the words just a bit and and we look at what Paul is really saying here, he's saying, I appeal to you, therefore, I, I beg you, I urge you, therefore, because of this, because of what I've said to this point, which is the gospel, which is the the good news of Jesus Christ and his conquering sin on our behalf, this this notion of our justification by faith. Because of that, you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, something that would have been jolting to the Jewish part of the audience in Rome, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service. It's translated sometimes. And then it says, don't be conformed to this world. And I've heard at least 50 Bible lessons about how that means if the world zigs, you zag. If the world listens to this kind of music, you listen to a different, and that's, that's not to condone, you know, music with a bad message. It's not to condone things that are unhelpful to us. But this notion of just not being conformed to the world, living in a bubble, is not what Paul's teaching here. He says, but be transformed. That word means a, a metamorphosis, be, be changed into a new creature, be completely changed into a new being by the renewal of of your mind that has the idea of a renovation that word renewal the the renovating the changing the way you think so in this podcast when we talk about the big ideas that shape us i think this is a key to changing our perspective so that as we live the christian life we aren't mired in this self-sufficiency of and self-reliance of alexander hamilton yes and i think we do this in the church we do. I, I think I think we say unwittingly to so many, well, just suck it up and do better. I I, right. I grew up thinking the sin of self reliance. As you well know, I I grew up thinking, well, I'll just wake up earlier and work harder than everybody else. And, and there's and there's nothing wrong with that kind of work ethic. No, 
But that on its own, without the big idea, without our minds being changed, is totally insufficient, isn't it? It's insufficient, and it is not glorifying to God. You know, I, I have a friend, Mark, who you know, who was an investor in uh, Planet Fitness franchise. And, and what's really interesting, and I probably shouldn't have named the franchise, but what, what's really interesting about that gym, that workout facility, is they. I got to know the, the, the guys who, who, who ran it day to day, two really smart guys, and they ended up selling it for, I forget the number, but something close to $100 million for, for this, this one area, yeah. multiple municipalities here in central Florida. And what, what they, what they, they said a couple of things that were really interesting and just with, without boring the audience on a, uh, the story of their entire business plan, they, they, they wanted a, a clean location. If you've ever worked out there, you know that they, they don't allow muscle heads. They, they, they really keep it clean and suited for the, the average person who wants to kind of get in shape and stay in shape in good physical condition. They make it very friendly. They make it easy to join. The cost is low. I was telling this story to somebody the other day, and she said that they charged her $10 a month. And you know, what's really interesting about their model, though, is, is that they sell more memberships in January because of New Year's resolution, because Absolutely. of this whole, I'm going to- Yes, we're going to lose weight. Yeah, I'm going to do better. And what, what's really interesting about this is they sell more memberships than they have space to accommodate people. If, pe- if their members were to just show up even once a week, they'd run out of space. But they know human nature. They've studied this. There's some smart yes. people behind this concept. Yes. And so they do automatic debit from checking accounts at just $10, no contracts. You can stop at any time. But because of our good intentions, we, we want to work out. We sign up. People come in for a couple of times, maybe three, some only once, shockingly. Some only the inaugural time where they signed up and paid the money for the first month. And then they stay on the, the payment plan for a year or two and, and don't darken the door or certainly don't show up very often. And that is quite a testimony to human nature. Yeah. My iFit trainer told me this morning that wishing doesn't make it happen. You actually <laughs> have to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. If, if our audience could just hear the, <laughs> the implications of the iFit trainer in our home. So this Planet Fitness story reminds me of a story I'm going to get in trouble for for telling probably in in closing, but it reminds me of our Weight Watchers experience. And guys, I I am embarrassed to admit they call it WW now, thankfully. But uh, let me let me just first say I I have never been to a Weight Watchers meeting. Thank the Lord, they have an app that does all of this for you. And I'm not selling for Weight Watchers right now, but here's what I'm going to tell you. We just read a biblical concept that talked about the, our transformation, our metamorphosis, because of this changing of our minds, changing of our minds with respect to the big ideas, the who God is, who man is, and how God relates to man. And we can, we'll go on and f- we'll, we'll flesh that out in subsequent episodes. But that concept was key for us when we signed up about 18 months ago for this thing called this app called Weight Watchers. We had we had done these yo-yo diets people call them or I'm going to do better and I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to I'm going to consume less calories or I'm going to go work out or I was a runner for a bunch of years and got in good shape and then the instant I was injured and stopped I gained the weight back and that's kind of been the lives that that 
I think we and so many other people have lived. And yet this program was a forced nutrition program, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Which changed the way we live. It was that fundamental, that metamorphosis, that that changing of our minds about nutrition that allowed us to trim down and keep the weight off and live healthier lives. Yes. Uh, and the wonderful thing is there are no off-limit foods. You just learn how to balance sugar, fat, you know, all those nutrients that your body needs, but just in a healthier way. Yeah. And so this conversation is, is uh, emblematic of what we're going to do here in the Relentless Truth podcast. We're going we're, we're to bring you uh, everything from Alexander Hamilton to, to a how to diet successfully by focusing on nutrition. But seriously, the underlying concept is the one that we find in, in Romans 12. I am amazed every year at my students and their families, at our friends, at our family anxiety, that, that is fear and guilt, are crippling. And they are crippling to living the Christian life and just waking up tomorrow and trying to do better, trying to deal with it more effectively does not work. This renewing of our minds must happen. And that's why I am excited to talk every week with you about relentless truth. So thank you for being with us. Con, thank you for being here. I hope we can do this again. Absolutely. We'll double your pay next time. Oh, good. (laughs) Weight Watchers thanks you for the commercial. (laughs) And we look forward to uh, being with you again next week. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.